want to just pray for us as we open God's word together for the preaching of it. I want to pray that God would open our hearts, our eyes, and he would open my mouth to speak as I should. So let's pray together. God, these are the words of life. Where else can we go but to your word? This is how we know what reality is. We're thankful that you have given us this word. Thankful that you've given us this passage of scripture that we might know you better, to know what you were like. So God, I pray for those who are listening to your word preached right now. Their hearts may be free from distraction. God, you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying through your word. Bring application spirit to their lives. Father, I pray for myself that I preach this word. I got you would you would help me to speak as I should, to rightly divide your word. As it, as it, is it a privilege? Is it a privilege? It is a privilege, an absolute privilege, to unpack this scripture here this morning. We thank you for meeting with us here. We ask for your help as we unpack your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I have had a feeling on several occasions in my life of feeling out of place. I felt out of place. I felt like I didn't belong. And specifically, there's certain occasions where, do you ever walk into a room and you, just, and you immediately walk into the room, you see these tall ceilings, you see chandeliers, you see people dressed in, in clothes that are, work, cost more than a month's salary for you. The food is delicious, but you don't know how to pronounce it. And you, you, you immediately have the sense, I don't belong here. Like, the, I'm not the kind of person that I would expect to see at a place like this. Maria and I had something like this uh, on our second date ever. Maria had volunteered for a pregnancy resource center in the Kansas City area, and we were invited to a fundraising gala. Now, even the word gala tells me this is more fancy than I am ready for. Uh, the, the word gala is already enough. But this is the kind of event where people who have money to spend go to spend that money and donate for, to support this pregnancy resource center. And here I was, a broke seminary student at this nice venue, people dressed in nice clothes, bidding on items at a silent auction that I had, it cost more for those things than I had in my bank account at the time. I remember thinking, I, I don't belong here. Like, this is not, like, why am I here? I have nothing to give to this thing. I can't donate to this. But here I am, a part of this. I'm eating the good food. I'm hobnobbing with these people. I feel out of place. Maybe you've experienced something like that. A wedding or some sort of banquet or a gala. And the craziest part of this, I thought, was that Maria and I at this gala, we weren't just some crazy intruders. Like, we weren't just crashing the party. No, Maria and I were invited guests. The people who were in charge said, hey, Maria, we want you to come to this thing, invite someone. She invited me, I was very thankful for that. But we were invited guests. We, they wanted us to be there. We were brought in. When, as we were talking with people who were higher up, at it, it wasn't like, oh, who are these people? Who is this charity case walking around? 
No, we were supposed to be there. We were invited in. These people knew we couldn't repay them. We couldn't spend any money on this banquet, yet we were invited in. This morning, we'll turn our attention to a parable of Jesus about a magnificent banquet. A banquet that's far greater and far more glorious than this fundraising gala. But what's fascinating is the people we find around this beautiful banquet table aren't necessarily the kind of people you would expect to find at a banquet table like this. Jesus Jesus describes a banquet that breaks every social conventions that the Pharisees had in their mind. A parable where the boastful are left hungry, but the beggars are the ones who leave satisfied. This parable is not just some fantasy story, a fable that helps us understand what it's like to throw a good party. This passage is not about throwing a good party and what the, the do's and don'ts of a party. This is a parable that reflects the reality of the kingdom of God. This is a reality. Because when Christ comes again to judge the living and the dead, who will be the ones feasting at God's great banquet table? Who will be the ones who are partaking in all the benefits of eternal salvation? Who will be there at the table? And conversely, who will be left on the outside? Having rejected the invitation to this banquet and left hungry, who will those people be? So this, this parable, this passage is not just, a, not just about hospitality and party, but it has deep implications for your life. Will you be at the great banquet table in eternity? Now, verses 12 through 14 serve as a precursor to the parable. He, Jesus is setting us up for the parable. He's going to give them a teaching on who should, who should you invite to a banquet. But it's, leading the, it's, it's, pre, it's a precursor for what's going to come next. So the, the scene starts in verse 1. So we're, we're, we've, we're jumping into the middle of a scene here. Jesus has been invited, if you look in verse 1 of, of chapter 14, one Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. So Jesus is at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They have invited him in for a meal. They want to talk with him. This guy, Jesus, is ruffling some feathers. He's getting notoriety. Let's bring him in. Let's grill him. Let's ask him some questions. And Jesus has already been upsetting the apple cart in this conversation. By the time we get to verse 12, the Pharisees are already not happy with him. He is already breaking social conventions. He's already calling them out. He's already needling them on things. He's told them that, okay, when you go to a wedding, don't sit in the highest place but rather sit in the lowest place. Be humble. Because the Pharisees, what they were doing, what he saw, what Jesus saw what they were doing is they were taking the high places for themselves. And so he says, no, go low. Be humble, take the lowest place. And so Jesus isn't done needling them. He's not done breaking their conventions apart. So Jesus is going to double down. In verse 12, let's read it together. He, also, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Now this goes against what we might normally think, right? When I, when I host a party, when I host a dinner, who, am I most, who are you and I most likely to invite? Well, it's our friends. It's people we know. 
It's people we're comfortable with. Or at least it's people we want to be our friends. Say, I want to get to know you, so come on over. I want you to be my friend. But Jesus is saying, okay, don't invite those people. Okay, Jesus, then who are we supposed to invite? What kinds of people should we be inviting? But when you give, when you, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So don't invite all of these people that you know. Don't invite your friends. Don't make this a party amongst people you know. But invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Now why? Why, Jesus? Why is it so important that we invite these people, but not those people? Well, I skipped a little bit of verse 12 for this reason. Here's why. The second half of verse 12. Lest they your friends, brothers, relatives, lest they also invite you and return and you be repaid. And conversely, we look at verse 14. What about the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind? And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. So this is the fundamental difference for Jesus here, is that these folks, your friends, your neighbors, they can repay you. They can return the favor to you. But the poor, the blind, the crippled, the lame, they cannot repay you. They have nothing to offer you. You think about this, and you think about, you invite, you invite your friends over, you invite some family over. You, what do you do? Well, if, if, you're, if you're like us, you prepare some food, you clean the house, you decorate, you make sure everything is in tip-top shape so for, them, for them to come. And there's almost an inherent expectation that, okay, when I do this for you, you will do this for me. When I invite you over, you'll invite me over too. We don't do it because of that reason, but there's always an expectation. But what happens if you invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind to your dinner table? What happens? Do you think they can repay you exactly what you've given to them? Likely not. Likely these people cannot cook food for you. They will, they will not decorate the house for you. They will not clean the house for you to come over. So you're not going to be repaid in the same way. They have nothing to give. You may not be repaid on this side of eternity, at least. Let's look at the end of verse 14. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You will be repaid. So your repayment is not in the moment. It's not next week when they invite you over. But your payment, Jesus says, is at the resurrection of of the just. And so here's, we, we see a mark of godliness here. A question we ask ourselves. What's your reward? Are, are you okay with a deferred payment plan on this? Are you okay with not being repaid now because you're going to be repaid at the resurrection of the just? And do you trust that your repayment in eternity will be far greater than any repayment you can get here on earth? Is your reward the acclaim and the honor of your peers on earth? Or is your heart and treasure laid up in heaven so that you're ready to welcome in the people who cannot repay you? You, want, you desire to bring in the people who are not like you, who are on the fringes of society, because you know I have a greater reward that awaits me in heaven. Now, important to note, what Jesus is not saying here is you can never invite, never again invite your family over. Never again invite those friends over. You know those, you know, you know those, those, those family members you never have to invite them over again. No. But, but what Jesus is saying is, don't only invite those people. You know, isn't it, it's, it's easier 
to invite people you already know. It's easier to invite people that you like or that you think you'll get along with or that will repay you. But we need to make intentional effort to make our dinner tables look like God's dinner table. Our dinner tables should look like God's dinner table. As I was reading through this this week, my mind went to a letter that Maria received recently from a member of our, of our past church in Kansas City. Maria and this older woman have been corresponding, and this, this older woman lives in a nursing home. And her son also lives in a facility. They both have both physical health and mental health issues, so such that they don't work. And so she lives in a, in a nursing home, and he lives in a facility as well. But they are dear members of our church that love the Lord. And she recounted in this letter how there was, there's a couple in the church that are a bit more wealthy, that have more status. And the woman in this letter recounted how this couple has been consistently inviting them over to their, to their home for dinner on a regular basis. Now this older woman and her son cannot repay this couple. They cannot in the same way. But yet this, this, this couple is saying, our reward is in heaven. These are members of our body. These are members of, of Christ's body. And so we want to invite them in. So we walk away from verse 12 through 14 saying, our dinner tables should look like God's dinner table. Where our reward is not that people, people will repay us for what we do for them, but that we will have a reward in heaven. But this gets to a, a question that our rest of our passage will answer today. Okay, if our, if our t- table is to look like God's table, what does God's table look like? What does God's banquet table look like? Is he inviting his friends, his brothers, his relatives, and his rich neighbors to his table? Or has God invited the beggars, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame to his banquet table? And the rest of the passage is going to tell us what his banquet table looks like. Now, if you can imagine, if you can imagine with me that this, this great banquet table, the main table, in my mind, the, the, the illustration I'm using for today, I want you to get it with me, there's a massive table, and on this table, there's an inscription that reads, Eternal Salvation. Eternal Salvation. If we want to dine at the table of eternal salvation, of forgiveness of sins, of eternity in the presence of God, if we want to dine at that table... What are the foundational truths that we need to know? What are, the, what are the legs that support the banquet table of God? What do we need to know? What about God's banquet table? Because these legs are foundational. Without one of them, the whole thing will not stand. And here's a main point, a main preaching point for today. At the banquet table of his kingdom, God invites all of humanity to the table for an all-expenses-paid eternal feast. Everyone who wants to come can come and partake without reservation, but everyone who excuses themselves from the banquet will go hungry. So this morning, we'll look at four legs of God's banquet table. Four legs of God's banquet table from verses 15 through 24. The first leg of God's banquet table is this, that God's banquet table is extensive. God's banquet table is extensive. 
Let's read in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, at this point in the, t- in the, this point in the meal, things are awkward. There's a, ten- there's a palpable tension and an awkwardness to the table as Jesus is saying these things the Pharisees don't like. He's ruffling their feathers. Jesus is calling them out. And so one Pharisee decides to break the silence. You, you, you've had something like this. Maybe there's an awkward conversation around the table, and one of you just wants to break the silence with something. You say something. You don't really know what you're saying, but you, just, you see words coming out of your mouth. It's kind of what's going on here. The Pharisee just decides to break the silence and, and toss out a comment. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. This is likely a beatitude the Pharisees would say on a regular basis, uh, commonly said among those religious rulers talking about the end times feast. Uh, there's a citation in Isaiah 25 talking, talking about how the Lord is going to make a feast for people with food and wine and rich food full of marrow. And so the Pharisees are saying, oh, it's going to be great to eat at that table. When we get to that table, oh, we're going to be blessed. We are going to be blessed. We're going to be great. And if you hear in what the Pharisee is saying, he's saying, The Pharisees will be blessed at that table. This Pharisee is saying, we will be the ones who are blessed at God's banquet table. We're going to be the, all these other people, no, but we will be the ones. This table is not for everyone. Because in in, in their mind, both the Gentiles, the physically handicapped people, were excluded from this banquet. They would have no part in it. The Pharisees have a certain feeling of entitlement to them. Because of who I am, because of my lineage as a Jew, and not only as a Jew, but as a Pharisee, as a religious ruler, I will be blessed when I come to that table. There's a sense of entitlement to them. So because I have done, well, I'm following the rules, I'm living a good life, I'm living a moral life, I'm the best, we're the best of the best, God is most pleased with us, and so we will be the ones who are blessed at that table. And to this, Jesus will say, Not so fast. Not so fast. Let's read verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. We just stop right there. This is a dinner. This is a formal feast. This is a banquet. Now, we don't normally necessarily think much of this. It's a a banquet. Okay. Like, I've been to a banquet hall before. But for the culture of Jesus and the Pharisees at this time, Such a banquet was a luxurious occasion. It was a lavish thing. To be invited to a feast like this one would have been the highlight of a Jewish person's life. And meals like this signaled lines between who were the people on the inside socially and who were the people on the outside socially. If you were invited to a meal, well, you were on the inside. But the people who were on the outside would have no part of this. So this is, a, this is a big thing. It's a, it's a great banquet. And we see that he invites many. I want to draw our attention specifically to these things, to the words, the, the words great banquet and to the words many. <clears throat> who is the host of this banquet? Who is the man of verse 16? It's God. God is the man of verse 16. The great banquet he's throwing is the arrival of God's kingdom. God is... Hosting a banquet, this is his kingdom being inaugurated. 
And the guest list for this banquet is all of humanity. It's all of humanity. God is throwing a massive banquet. He is not limiting the guest list. He is not going through the list and being like, not this person. Nope. Nope. I guess they can go. If they get out of line, they're gone. No. Yes, yes. He's not walking through. No, he's inviting many. That's the idea. God is inviting, this man is inviting many to the party. This banquet is far-reaching. This, this, this pictures God inviting the whole world to his banquet. God is extending the invitation of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, to all of the world. There is not one person that God has left off of his guest list for the banquet. God is, his banquet table is extensive. He's wanting to reach to the far, to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, high and low, everywhere. He wants to invite all people to come to his banquet. The theologian J.C. Ryle said this. I think this is so helpful. There is nothing wanting on God's part for the salvation of man. If man is not saved, the fault is not on God's side. The Father is ready to receive all who come to him by Christ. The Son is ready to cleanse from all their sins who apply to him by faith. The Spirit is ready to come to all who ask for him. I love this. There is an infinite willingness in God to save man if man is only willing to be saved. God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. Some may object. You know, there's, there's a common objection to Christianity. Perhaps you've heard it. It says, well, you know, God, if God is so willing to save, if God is so loving, why do people go to hell? Why are people in eternal torment, condemned to hell? We will look at this more in a minute in our passage. I want to say, across the Bible, we see God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He desires that no one would perish, but that everyone would come to him. He sent his son to die for that very purpose. So God has not set up narrow, narrow parameters for his banquet. He has invited many to come in. Many. His banquet table is extensive. We are in the wrong when we try to limit who God wants to save. When we think God would not want to save that person. When that person could not be saved. You know, God wants to save everyone. So this is the first leg of God's banquet table. His table is extensive. <clears throat> so this great host, he's throwing the best banquet the world's ever seen. He's inviting everyone to come. He wants everyone at his table. This is a big party. He's invited many in preparation. What happens the day of the party? So his first invitation was sent out in advance. Now, now we find the day of the party. What happens? And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Here we see the second leg of God's banquet table. God's banquet table is all expenses paid. All expenses paid. God's banquet table is all expenses paid. So some time has passed. The preparations have been made. You can imagine the host. He's been hard at work. 
busy getting everything ready for the great banquet. I mean, he's inviting tons of people in. He's got a, there are a lot of preparations that are made for this party. The host had a plan. He's executed it. You can, if you've hosted a party, you could imagine this. You've done a lot of preparations in advance. <clears throat> Those who were invited in the previous verse have seemingly accepted the invitation. They've RSVP'd. You know, they got the, RS, they, they got the invitation in the mail. They said, hey, great banquet, cool banquet. Uh, yeah, check the yes box, I'm in. And it's common in upper-class meals that the servant would go out to the guests on the day of the banquet and say, hey, it's time to come in. It's time to come in. Invite them personally. So the great banquet of God is now ready. Everything has been prepared. Everything is ready. It's time for people to come in. Everyone who's been invited to now come into the banquet hall. And where do I get all expenses paid from? I see it from the end of verse 17, an amazing feature of this party that if, I think if we don't pay attention, if we don't dive in on it, we'll miss it. And there, it, this is beautiful gospel truth in this phrase. So let me just read the whole thing again. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. The host has prepared everything. There's not one detail left to account for. The guests are not required to bring a single thing to this party. This is the world's greatest banquet, the, the one the world has ever seen. There's been no banquet in the history of the world like this before. There never will be one in the future. And these guests are not required to bring a single thing to it. The host has not sent a last-minute message to them saying, hey, I forgot the fruit salad. Can you bring the fruit salad? We, we were so busy planning, we forgot the ginger ale. Can you just bring a, a two-liter of ginger ale? Like, that'd be great, thanks. Now, the host said, everything is now ready. I have thought of everything, and I have prepared everything. There's nothing for you to think of. I heard one pastor say it this way. We don't bring a bottle of wine or ginger ale to this party. We just bring our appetites. We don't bring anything to God's banquet table. We just bring our appetites. If we're hungry for him, he will feed us. If you desire the things of God, there's infinite supply of him that he will give to you. And the good news of this, of this is this, is, this reflects reality. Because what is the reality? Well, the reality is we, is we can't bring anything to God's dinner table. What are we going to offer to God? Say, here, this is going to supplement your meal. I know you've got everything, but I thought this would really finish the deal. We are the ones who are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame of verse 13. We cannot hope to repay the favor that God has given. We just can't. We also can't say, you know, thanks God. Next time, let me have you over. I will throw a party like, just like this one. You thought this party was great. Let me throw you a party. No, that, that, that's, that's foolish. We cannot repay God the favor. We are the beggars, the poor. We are the ones who walk into this ornate banquet hall. We are the ones who sit at God's banquet table of salvation, and we sit in awe of the host. We sit there, and we eat, and we dine for all eternity, just feasting on what God has done and who he is. We don't bring anything to this party. God has done all the work to prepare the kingdom for us. Your sin has brought death 
upon you. My unholiness condemned me to eternity apart from the God, separated from his presence. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect, sinless life and die the death that we deserved to die. God is the one who paid the price. You want into the kingdom of God? It's all expenses paid. God has done everything for you. It was my sin. I sinned. I'm the one responsible for it. I can't blame anyone else. I can't blame anything else for my sin. I racked up a bill that I could not pay. But God himself, this host of the banquet, in his amazing love for you, said, I'll take care of the bill. I'll cover it. I'll cover it. Whatever debt you rack up, I will pay. There's nothing, there's no going to be, there's going to be no outstanding balance for you to pay. Everything is ready. So by acknowledging our sin and placing our faith in Jesus Christ and believing in him, friends, we can just come. We can just come. We do not have to bring anything. We don't have to work by our own effort to show God that we're worthy of being saved. We don't, have to, we don't have to live perfectly. We don't have to work for God's favor. But the host just says, come, for everything is now ready. Alistair Begg, a, a fantastic preacher, I heard a sermon of his, and he says something like this. You know, we go to the door of the great heavenly banquet hall, and there's an angel just inside the door who asks, on what basis do you come into heaven? Ask, ask yourself that question in your heart right now. On what basis do you come into heaven? If you answer that question in the first person, you've immediately gone wrong. I believe. I had faith. I did everything I was supposed to, so here I am. You know, the emphasis is not on I the answer to that question must be in the third person. Jesus Christ invited me in. Jesus Christ said I could come, so here I am. It's nothing in what I've done. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have an all expenses paid eternal fellowship with God. You can't pay your way in. You can't follow the rules enough to get in. Everything's already ready. So just receive the invitation with humility. And come. Come to the banquet table and feast. It's already paid for you. It's already paid. This is our second leg of the God's banquet table. It's extensive, and it's all expenses paid. So the invitations have gone out. The servant has gone out, day of. Come, everything is now ready. How do people respond to this invitation? Perhaps not how we might think they would. This is our third leg of God's banquet table. It's that God's banquet table excludes those who make excuses. God's banquet table excludes those who make excuses. Let's read verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. We just stop right there. It's the day of the banquet. These guests have previously RSVP'd, 
Everything's prepared. The host has been working, has made plans. He's arranged everything perfectly. He's prepared all the food. You can imagine if you're, if you're the host of a party and you've done all the work and suddenly at the 11th hour, someone's like, oh, I can't come. Now we understand things come up. Things happen last minute that we didn't foresee. We have grace towards people, absolutely. There are good excuses. But let's look at the excuses that these, that these people start to give. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. This man has committed to attending a great banquet. It's the talk of the town. Something that other people plan their whole lives around. But this man has bought a field, and he must go out and see it. I mean, things come up, but this is a dinnertime banquet. So won't it be dark soon? Like, how can you see the field if it's pitch dark outside? And also, you'd think, okay, the field will still be there tomorrow. So you can go to the banquet tonight and go see your field later. So what we conclude from this is this person places a higher priority on their property than on the feast he's previously committed to. He said, I care more about my property than this banquet. And there's, there's almost, in his words, you can hear a presumption to them. Please have me excused from this banquet. I'll catch the next one. You know, whenever you throw a new banquet, you can count on me. Man, I will be there. Just something, something came up this time. I'll have another banquet. Let's read the next excuse. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Five yoke of oxen indicates this person is very wealthy. Likely they have something over 100 acres. Uh, he's wealthy, he's of a certain social status, he's accustomed to a way of life. So likely, from his position, this man's position, he's been to banquets before. He's in the same way. He said, please have me excused from this banquet. There will be another one. I know there will be. There always are. And he's prioritizing his occupation as, as, as a farmer, as a worker of the land, more than this great feast. The third excuse and another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Is there, is there a little humor in that? A little humor in that? Yeah. Why would marrying a wife disqualify one from tending a social meal? And, and, and could this have been communicated to the host ahead of time? Could he have said, hey, like, was this marriage super recent? We don't know. <clears throat> but you notice, this man doesn't even make an effort to be excused. He's the one excuse that does not say, please have me excused. He just flat out says, I can't come. I, don't, I, <clears throat> I can't come. It's, just, it's not a thing. I, I, don't, I don't want to. I can't. So how do we think about these excuses? It's easy for us to look at these excuses and say, man, these are dumb excuses. I would never excuse myself from a banquet to go see a field. Like, no. But if we stop and think more carefully... I think we realize the excuses are not too far off from excuses we hear today. And specifically excuses or reasons people give for not wanting to trust Christ. For, re for re reasons that they, I can't become a Christian right now. I can't be a Christian right now. I thought of a couple excuses. Maybe you've heard some of these or others. See if you pick up on any, any like similarities between the excuses of Luke 14 and these. 
I'll give more attention to Jesus when I'm older. I don't have time right now. I'm kind of busy, busy life. But when I'm older, when things slow down, I'll have time for Jesus. You know, being a Christian will mean I can't do this thing that I really want to do. Or, all roads lead to heaven anyway. There's no one right way to God. Now, these excuses are not the exact same, but maybe you can see two commonalities that I see. Prioritizing something else over salvation and presuming upon God. Prioritizing something else and presuming upon God. Considering something else in life to be more important, more immediate than repenting of sin and putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Or presuming, you know, there will be another banquet. There will be another banquet. I'll get to enjoy the banquet anyway. You know, there, either, either there will be another banquet in the future, or even if there's not, I'll somehow end up with the leftovers. You know, you go to the party, have a good time, get the food, and somehow the leftovers will just be given to me too. We prioritize something else or we presume upon God. And if we skip ahead to the end of our passage in verse 24, Jesus has a clear and sobering word for the people in this parable who make excuses. Look at verse 24. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. None of those who were originally invited, none of these men who give many excuses will taste a crumb of the banquet. They will not taste it at all. They will be left out completely. Those who have made excuses exclude themselves from the banquet table. They have prioritized something else. They have presumed upon God, and so they have rejected the invitation. To make an excuse here is to reject the invitation. That's the word. Excuse can also be translated as as reject. They have rejected the invitation. It's important to note that God is not the one excluding them. We remember God's banquet table is extensive. He wants all people. He's inviting all people in. The invitation is extended to you, but what will you do with it? And so I think of this room today, and I do not presume in this room that we are all Christians today. I presume in this room there is at least one person who would not consider themselves a Christian today. And so I would say to you, if you are not a Christian today, receive the invitation. Leave your best excuses behind. Come to the banquet. Do not assume that you will have time after this service to deal with Jesus later. Do not assume you will have time after you leave these doors to accept the banquet invitation. Perhaps you are here today to receive the invitation to come into the banquet hall, to feast at the table for all eternity, to not be left on the outside. Friend, I want that for you more than I want anything in the world, for you to know Jesus. There's nothing you need to do to clean clean yourself up before you come. Just come and see how Jesus will satisfy you. Perhaps you've been making excuses. Perhaps you've said one of those things that I mentioned earlier. Say, when I get older, 
I'll come to Jesus. Life is really busy right now. Trevor, you don't know my hectic schedule. You don't know my life. And you're right, I don't. But I know that you, like me, are in desperate need of a Savior. And he is offering the invitation to you. He has extended it to you. Please do not make excuses anymore. Please lay your excuses behind and come to him. So this is the reality, that God's banquet table will exclude those who make excuses. But our fourth leg is this. God's banquet table includes everyone who wants to come. So if God's banquet table excludes some, it includes everyone who wants to come. Look at, look, at, look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. So the meal is ready, the food is hot, and people start making excuses. Every, all the people invited, everyone it says, makes excuses. Down to the one, everyone has made an excuse, and suddenly this extensive banquet table is going to be empty. What does the host do? Does the host shut down operations? Does, does he say, fine, none of you want to come? I'll shut it down. No one's coming. I'm going to have this all to myself. Fine by me. No. We see the generous heart of the host. And he, he, goes, he says, he sends his servant out everywhere. First, to the streets and the lanes of the city. He's telling the servant, look everywhere. Go high and low to the major roads, to the back alleys. Search high and low to find people to bring them in to my banquet hall. And who does the host bring in? The host does not bring in other people who are of great stature, who feel entitled. No, the host brings in whom? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now this, just imagine, imagine in, in the room with the Pharisees, they hear this great banquet's being thrown, and who gets invited? The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. These are the people the Pharisees like, spent no time with. They would look the other way. They, went, they would go out of their way to not spend time with these people. These categories, poor, the blind, crippled, lame, these folks were banned from full participation in Jewish worship. They were banned. They could not participate fully in it because of their condition. And now the people banned from worship, what? They get to, they get to be the honored, invited guests at the banquet. For the first time in these people's lives, they are the ones who get to eat and be filled. Jesus is shifting the paradigm here. We think of Isaiah 35, 5 and 6, with the reign of the Messiah, what it's going to be like. It says this, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sound for joy. God is inviting the outcasts, the beggars, to come to his table. All of them come 
and eat and be filled. God, in his great love, desires for his house to be full. He does not shut down operations. He does not close the party. He wants his house full. God is oh, oh so generous to invite all of these people to come to his table. How would you feel if you were such a person? How would you, how would you feel if you've gone your whole life being the outcast of society? People looking the other way. When you are on the side of the road asking for help and people look the other way or cross the other, to the other side of the street so they don't have to interact with you, deal with that awkwardness. How would you feel if suddenly someone came to you and said, this master is hosting the world's greatest banquet and you are invited. We want you to be there. You're not a charity case. You're not just someone we're taking pity on, but we want you in. I'd probably be amazed. I wouldn't know what to do. I would feel unworthy. And that may be something why, in verse 23, the master says, compel the people to come in. Because some people might need to be convinced. Like, I'm, I'm a part of a different world than you. Like, I don't belong in a place like this. This is not where people like me usually go. They feel out of place. But here they are, honored, invited guests at a magnificent banquet. They don't need to bring anything to this banquet other than a desire to come. And this is the truth of the gospel, that you and I were the beggars. We were the beggars. We are the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. We are the ones far off. But now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are royalty, the sons and daughters of King of the King. God does not see us as charity cases on whom he has taken pity. We are beloved, cherished sons and daughters. It makes me think of one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament of David, and David, King David and Mephibosheth. If you're familiar with this story, David invites, he wants to invite someone from the house of Saul to come live with him because of his love for Saul's son, Jonathan. And so he asks his servant, who of the house of Saul is still alive that I can show kindness to them? And the servant says, well, there's this guy named Mephibosheth. And David's like, send him in. I want him to come to me. Mephibosheth, we read, is a cripple. He's lame in both of his feet. And so Mephibosheth is sent forth to David, to, into David's presence. And what does Mephibosheth do? He immediately falls on his face in homage to David. I am not worthy of you. And David's response here, I think, is so beautiful. It gives me a picture of God's response to us as the beggars. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Always. So Mephibosheth, for the rest of his life, gets all the land of his kingly relative. He gets to eat at the king's table forever. It's amazing. And so two quick applications for us this morning. Non-Christian, do you, do you see yourself in Mephibosheth? Do you see yourself as the cripple in need of God's grace? 
You likely are not lame in both your feet, but let me tell you, your sin has crippled you more than any physical disease ever could. Everyone in this room will one day come before the presence of an even greater king than David. We will all fall flat on our faces. You will be absolutely humbled. Absolutely humbled. And what will this king say to you? What do you think this king will say to you? Will he say to you, depart from me? I offered you the invitation. I offered you a seat. I wanted you to come, but you kept making excuses. Time after time. I can't, you cannot be in here. For you are unholy as I am holy. Or will this king say to you, because you have believed on Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. Welcome home, my child. You can eat at my table always. Do you want to come and feast at God's banquet table? Well, I have good news for you. If you this morning want to come, if you hear these words and say, yes, I want to come. I want this banquet table. I'm done with excuses. You can come. You can come. There's a seat waiting for you. Come, for now everything is ready. And for you, Christian, will you go and compel your fellow beggars to come in? Think this passage is a wonderful catalyst for personal evangelism. We are ambassadors for Christ, heralds for the kingdom. And so we go and we share the invitation. We say, hey, everything is now ready. Come, the banquet is coming. Everything's ready. Won't you come? Come with me. I want you to come. We invite our neighbor over for dinner. We start a conversation about spiritual matters. We invite our coworkers to church on Sunday morning. We, We desperately want the people in our lives to come because we know that we are all beggars and we want them to come where they can find the bread of life. And so we see four legs of God's banquet table. This is the reality for you, Christian. One day, when Lord Jesus comes again, we will all feast at the table forever and ever in the presence of God as honored guests, sons and daughters of the King. It's marvelous. It's marvelous. And for you, non-Christian, I hope today is your last day to make an excuse for why you can't come, why you wouldn't come, why now is not the right time. But come, because God is waiting. He has an open arm for you and a seat for you at the table. So I invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth. Pray for those in this room today who do not know you, God, that you, you by your spirit would even now be pricking their hearts. God, as, as excuses well up, would you quench them to see their need, to see themselves as the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame of this passage. And, and they are being invited in to the greatest banquet of all time. One like the world has never seen before. And I pray that for us who are believers in this room, that we will be compelled by this to go and share the good news with our fellow beggars. To bring them to the table to eat with us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well.